Welcome back to Don't Call It a Book Club. Uh, my name is Luke. My name is Dan. And it's been a long hiatus for us here, at least on our end. I don't know if it actually has been in in our releases, but uh, we haven't recorded in about, what, three weeks? Yeah, Luke's been, Luke's been out of the country. Luke's been overseas. Luke has been out of the country. Dan, uh, I don't know if people can tell, Dan has been writing the descriptions for the podcast and uh oh the people can tell luke kind of <laughs> kind of throwing some professionalism out of the window which i'm a little upset about because <laughs> we have exhibited a ton of professionalism in the past but i appreciate it okay let's uh let's i want to i want to talk about uh just kind of some italy stuff before uh before before we talk about the book uh so first of all the food is fantastic and i just have kind of a question for you uh-huh. or just in general yeah why do we not have the food like okay so we both live in the united states yes i don't understand why different places have such like much better food because like we live in a global society right i can fly to italy in nine hours we can do all of the f- cooking and baking or whatever that they do there. Why can we not make the same foods here? Like, so I'm just saying, like, their pizza is so much better than our pizza here. They have, like, fresh-made pasta in a lot of places. Their ice cream is so much better. Why do we not have these res- those recipes? Well, Luke, as Italy has its own culinary tradition... So too does the United States. And in the United States, we've got thing. Have you ever d- could you get ice cream for a dollar in Italy, Luke? Uh probably not a dollar, but not a dollar. It was it wasn't super cheap. You know where you can get ice cream for a dollar in the United States of America? <laughs> Where's that? Probably walking distance from your apartment, Luke, at a McDonald's. <laughs> That's fair. But like their their ice cream places or gelato places are very similar prices to like the actual ice cream places here. Oh, gelato, Luke. Did you go to Italy? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm very cultured now. <laughs> but I just I don't get why like there's no way that we can't find their ice cream. It's their their ice cream is so much better than just like a local ice cream place here and they're everywhere. Yeah. It's it's like Valerian steel. <laughs> In, in in what way is it like Valerian well, Steel? It's like Valerian Steel in that in Valeria, it's everywhere. Like every corner shop you could get just like a Valerian Steel whatever. And they're basically throwing the stuff away. But in Westeros, Valerian Steel is super rare. And they, they can't find it anywhere. So. I, yeah, I guess so. But I just, I just don't get why we can't since we now like are a day trip from Italy. Like in theory. You're saying they should just ship it from Italy? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying, I'm saying we should know how to make that stuff. We should know how to make ice cream as good as it's made in Italy at this point. Well, we do, but we just don't have the magic. <laughs> That's what it is. We, we can't access the door. It's, only, it's a regional thing. Well, this is something we learned in the last episode about the door. Right. It's very, it's very local. Yeah. In the Brandon Sanderson universe, the door is localized to certain parts of geography to certain geographies so in the same way that ice cream is 
Yeah. In I think probably in the exact same way. Okay. Yeah. That sounds right. Uh Luke, on a more serious note, it's it's just because we don't care enough. Nobody in the United <laughs> yeah, States think, cares. I think that's re- in reality what it is. But I think we should change that. Well, Luke, start the revolution. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'm with I'll, you. I'll, I'll quit my job and start an ice cream shop that, well, I have to make another trip back to Italy to steal their recipes. But yeah. But anyway, other things, just some, just some quick, quick things that I want to say. I want to brag really quick about not being pickpocketed. Yeah. T- uh, what kind of system did you have for this, Luke? Because uh, it seems like you had a pretty good system going on. Well, so first of all, I'm not ashamed to say that I had a Velcro money pouch. Yeah, I mean, you got to. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know why there's any shame with that. I, I'm, I'm saying there's not. But, <laughs> and I had a very, a very sophisticated system. I had a bag with just one opening, had a little pull string. You know, you pull it, you lock it with the little drawstring thing that you slide down to the bottom of it. Then I clipped it with a carabiner. There's no way you're getting in there without me knowing. Kevlar reinforced? Hold on. Was it Kevlar reinforced? No, Ooh. it was not Kevlar reinforced. Unfortunately. <laughs> we were actually worried about people cutting the bag. Mm-hmm. Like at the bottom and like stealing from that, that, that way. So we put all of our all of our valuables in a little secondary pouch in there. They would not fall out if they cut it out. You had a dummy bag, essentially. Yeah, yeah. You had the bag for them to cut open and steal all your, like, knickknacks. And... Like our little maps and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, all that stuff. But your real bag was separate from the, the fake dummy bag. <laughs> the, the real valuable bag was separated, but inside the dummy bag. That's smart. That's really smart. It was, it, yeah, we, we played it pretty well, I think. But, you know, Luke... Uh, you would have known immediately if they had cut your bag because if they have to cut your bag to get in they leave a meatball as a reward oh i didn't know that, that yeah it's nice yeah it's a pretty <laughs> it's a little traveler's tip uh you you know you've been pickpocketed if you find a meatball in your bag and you just ah oh, dang it <laughs> that almost seems worth it is that racist it can't be i'm gonna say it's insensitive okay sure but I wouldn't say that Italians are an oppressed group in the United States anymore. So I think we're good. Yeah, I think we're good. We could joke about meatballs. Okay, cool. <laughs> leave, yeah, leave it in. Uh, last thing. Uh, they love bells there. Love bells. It's mm. amazing. Like people walking around with just jangling no, bells? No, no, no. Like, like, so when was the last time you were walking around and you heard a bell ring nine times and you're like, oh, it's nine o'clock? well probably at, in in college at our undergrad right okay yeah sure one like <laughs> that's the only thing you can think of not yeah not not recently here not no. constantly no absolutely not <laughs> so they have surprise surprise they have a lot of churches in italy mm-hmm. every single one of them has a bell <laughs> good for them and they ring uh not just at, on the hours yes do they ring every 15? Oh, I don't, I honestly don't know the pattern. Oh, I couldn't figure it man, out. Luke. So, so some places have different patterns. One place rung every hour and then did a repeat two minutes later, which was wild to me. That just sounds confusing. <laughs> yeah. And then one place, I don't know what it was for. One time at 1015, they just played a song. Oh, that's fun. What song did they play? I, I, I don't really know. It was very I mean, it was a bell, like, 
it's not very complicated i don't really remember what it was but okay they pr- it was probably how kanye dropped his most recent album actually and you just didn't recognize it oh yes because i was out of because so, i hadn't heard it yet yeah, yeah. exactly it nobody had heard it. it so it was just like the people who were on the ground some of them knew he was about to drop something and everybody was waiting for it and <laughs> when they heard it they were just they lost their minds <laughs> no he didn't yeah no he didn't yeah i think oh, he did yeah i think kanye goes over very well in italy mm, um, most places i think, I think these that's days. his target audience actually yeah but yeah that was uh that was one thing that was interesting i feel like bells are a missed opportunity so every building that has bells that ring they always ring just for the time but they could ring for so many other things oh yeah you could just have the daryl bell that daryl does something awesome you just ring the bell it's like daryl great job ring that bell and then everybody in the whole city hears that daryl did such a great great thing or yeah there or they you there's like a raffle or something like that oh, where yes. every winner of the raffle gets a month where they can decide when to ring the bell something like that that could be fun raise some money for the church imagine all these churches that are having trouble maintaining their beautiful old buildings have a raffle in the city that they that they're in to ring the bell yeah we i think that's a good idea i think we solved it you can also find out all the assholes in the city because they choose 2 and 3 a.m to just go nuts on the bell because they think it's hilarious <laughs> and you can just it's a good indicator for who to avoid yeah because you, you they they would tell everyone the name of the person choosing yeah you would know who's ringing that bell right yeah uh, okay, I think that's a good segue. Oh, we're doing a segue. <laughs> it's not. I don't have a good segue. Uh, so let's let's actually jump into the book now. Yeah, we're talking about Hyperion. Right, Hyperion by Dan Simmons, our first sci-fi novel. <laughs> yeah, get hyped for another Dan. <laughs> so first sci-fi novel. This is actually the first book that neither of us have read before. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a pretty exciting new way for us to talk about this because you've you've we've read books that you have not read but we have not read a book that i have not read yet so we'll see how this goes right off the bat i want to say where we read two i think it was actually only through chapter two that's right <laughs> which is funny because the chapter is like 100 pages so we stopped at the end of the colonel's story yes yeah so we've we've gone through two people's stories so far yeah we're we're going to do this book in thirds, so we'll read the next third for the next episode. But yeah, we're a third of the way through right now. Right. Really quick, I'll uh I'll jump us I'll I'll start us off. These are going to be these are going to be some kind of insignificant things to talk about. So, I first just started writing like taking notes on little interesting things I thought of before the story took a huge left turn and got kind of wild. <laughs> So I wrote down things that I originally thought were kind of funny, but now in the grand scheme of things seem stupid. Yeah. Like one thing I wrote down, I just think it's kind of funny that the customary drink that they give people after they come out of stasis is orange juice. I have this exact note on my page that it's a funny mix of everyday objects and things that we're super familiar with, like orange juice. (laughs) And then, right. and also a, a tree that is a spaceship. Yeah, that was interesting. I didn't write that down, but I don't, <laughs> I just thought it was like, I was like, oh, 
weird to go tree there, but <laughs> so it sounds nice. I think this has to do with the different one of the main differences between fantasy and sci-fi in its tone is sci-fi tends to be a little bit more ridiculous and i think it tends to make fun of itself a little bit where fantasy doesn't do that as much and the early on examples of that are that they drink orange juice coming out of stasis like you said their their ship is a flying tree when i read that their ship was a flying tree i kept thinking what other object shaped ships are there flying around in the galaxy like is there a whale ship that there's some and i immediately thought of douglas adams because he has that scene where the whale suddenly appears and crashes onto the planet but there's a lot of ridiculousness in this in sci-fi in general i think especially modern sci-fi that makes it somewhat hard to make fun of but also somewhat more fun to make fun of because it feels much more like we're laughing with the author yeah the other thing i wrote down uh is if you pay attention to how the console is dressed on this tree ship he looks like yeah we wrote down the same things (laughs) i think what do you what did you think he looks like luke because i think he's dressed like a pirate i honestly didn't even really understand (laughs) <laughs> what they were saying when they were describing his dress all i got was that the hat was kind of weird he's wearing a tricorner hat <laughs> he looks like a pilgrim <laughs> although i went more pirate because he was i think he's wearing a kind of loose fitting blouse as well at least that was right, how yeah. i pictured it he, yeah he was wearing a loose blouse uh, i think it has like loose waist and loose sleeves or something like that i basically just wrote down i wanted to talk about how potentially different the style in the future would be and and just talk about like how that goes along like let's look back on just like different periods in history like you know there's one period where people wear like i don't know robes or something like that uh let's look back what, at like wait the, what period was everyone wearing robes i guess i guess that's more of a regional thing <laughs> where was everybody wearing robes what are you thinking of well okay so i think in like super warm areas or like super hot areas people wear like you know like one piece like robes kind of where i i I didn't research this very well (laughs) that was a bad example i didn't want you to latch on to that example dan all right right. tell us more about your my next example was the 90s slash early 2000s oh we're going from robes to the 90s (laughs) Which was a, yeah, I didn't tell you when the robes were, (laughs) which the early 2000s were just like a lawless wasteland stylistically wise. What do you mean lawless? It was jean shorts or cargo pants. Uh, I don't think that's true. Okay. There was a lot of denim. I will say there was a lot of denim. There was a lot of denim. Think about, think, think Justin Timberlake. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair. A paragon of fashion. <laughs> right. I just think it's interesting to think about like what people will look back on today's style and maybe it looks ridiculous. Well, okay, so there's definitely defining features of today's style. Uh the first one is yoga pants. I'll say that. Sure. Yeah. The second one is that uh yeah, I don't have a second one. I think it's just yoga <laughs> pants. 
Yeah, see, the thing is, I don't know if it, if we look ridiculous, but maybe in 20 years I'll look back and be like, what was I thinking? See, yeah, I don't really understand, and maybe this be, this is because I don't really uh, read very much, but maybe I don't understand m- current men's fashion. Because I can think of what the defining... Okay, in the 90s, defining men's fashion was like frosted tips and cargo shorts. That was sure. puka shells was another one that was really Ooh, yeah. big. I had a, we all had puka shells, at least I did. But I can't think of today what defines men's fashion besides t-shirts, which have that's been forever, and pants. I guess colored <laughs> colored pants is a kind of a thing now. That's yeah. I guess that's kind of popular. Or maybe button like floral button down shirts are pretty big. I'd say. I think those look good, though. I'm on board with the floral button-down shirts. Yeah? I don't want to give that up. Okay. Yeah. I don't have any, but I like them. <laughs> You're not willing to risk uh, the new fashion style yet, but you like the idea of them? Yeah. I'm, That's fair. I, I like them there. in theory, but not. I'm not with it in practice yet. Okay. I'm sure, still practicing, sure. I guess. <laughs> okay, yeah. Those, so those are the, the, the things that I wrote down before the story got insane. <laughs> Yeah, we should have t- a delineation for when the story gets insane and when it's like just kind of sci-fi crazy. Yeah, pre-ridiculous or yeah, pre-ridiculous book discussion was about orange juice and style. <laughs> there before there, there's just one last thing that we're gonna do a quick Dan does the math. Okay. Okay, I like this. When they're on the tree, there it's one sixth original or like I think they call it old Earth gravity. And they're on the tree. The consul realizes that somewhere he has to get to is 600 meters down this tree. And how it like he felt really scared that he was so high up. But if you're only at a sixth of Earth's gravity, 600 meters. Okay, so let's see. A sixth of Earth's gravity. You're probably only going to be going like, what, like 20 miles an hour when you hit the ground from 600 feet up. Or 600 meters up. Sure. That sounds about right to me. I mean, when you think... So, I think the acceleration was at 9.8. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 9.8 meters. But the the problem is, I don't know how to convert meters per second to anything meaningful. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. So, I have to guess here. And I'm going to guess you can't be going more than, like, 20 miles an hour when you hit the ground. That, okay. that doesn't seem that fast to hit the ground. It seems like it wouldn't be comfortable. Oh, for sure. But I mean, that would be like when you think about Usain Bolt sprinting, he's going like just under 30 miles per hour at his top speed. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's probably true. So when you think about you or me sprinting, I don't know if we could get up to 20, but it would might be kind of (laughs) close. Speak for yourself, Luke. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) So I, I, I guess it would be like you all out sprinting into a wall. Yeah, which doesn't sound comfortable. I'll say that, right? but probably not that bad. Especially from, how far did you say up? 600 meters? 600 meters, yeah. That's not bad. No, I would totally, I'd consider jumping to get there quicker. <laughs> Just make sure you have the roll move down. <laughs> yeah, well, because it's not, it's not running face first into a wall. It's Right, because you can brace yourself. Yeah, you can use your legs and kind of roll into it. So... Well, okay, now that I think of this another way, maybe it's more like jumping from 100 meters in normal gravity. 
Ooh. Which still not good. Still dead. Yeah. That might be better math. Okay. So, all right. He's not a complete baby, but I don't I think he overreacted. <laughs> fair. Fair enough. <laughs> I think that was a that was a good segment there. I liked it. <laughs> okay. So, I just want to so when do you think this got wild? Because I think it was right around so it was definitely in the priest's story. Story. Yeah. It's kind of like an interesting story and you kind of get some hints of like or like you can start guessing like ooh are these guys kind of aliens or what or something like that. Yeah. And then it gets starts to get real interesting once he like actually goes down and enters that basilica. Yeah. And I remember what I was thinking I was just like ooh this is getting pretty interesting like I wonder what this is. And then I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> when he finally, when he reveals to, uh, what are the people called? Their, uh, the, the three score and 10, I think. Three score and 10. When he reveals to the three score and 10 that he knows about their basilica and they take him down to the cruciform cave with the Shrike. From then on, it's a journey into madness. From then on, <laughs> yeah. it is pure insanity. For the whole, re- I mean, up until what we've read, frankly. Right, yeah. And I'm one, like, so we've read two stories so far. Mm-hmm. And, like, so I stopped after the, after the first one and was like, are all the stories going to be this insane? <laughs> uh, so far, yeah. And guess what? Yes, <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> like, is this just what the book is now? <laughs> Which I'm very excited for. Yeah. The thing about it is it's wild, but it's not wild in a way that is completely unreasonable because they set up a lot of this stuff before you get like they talk about the Shrike. So, you know that this thing exists. It's just so insane. But actually, uh, Luke, I would say it goes off the rails a little bit before they get into the cave. Now that I'm thinking about it, it goes off the rails when the head priest is on the way to visit these these people because the boat that he takes to go visit them is basically a fishing boat with a tin roof and the fact that there is a tin roof fishing boat in a universe where there are spaceships is completely ridiculous (laughs) who's still making who's still making tin roof fishing boats i mean i i guess i didn't think about it and I just was like, oh, yeah, they're they're probably, like, kind of poor or something like that. But, yeah, you would think, like, when you think about, let's, okay, let's make an analogy. When I was uh, a kid, my family bought a, like, new flat screen TV. It was like, I don't know, over $1,000. Now, you can get a TV better than that for, like, $200. So, you imagine even poor people would be able to buy... <laughs> even even the poor in this universe yes the poor let's talk about poor. the pores luke <laughs> yeah from our podcast <laughs> yeah our self-published podcast that we we have time oh, to let's great. let's skip the depressing part of it <laughs> um <laughs> but you would think even the uh less wealthy how about that would be able to afford what we view today as like miracles yeah Right, because this planet is set up as kind of a backwater planet where the people don't, the people are pretty poor. 
your point is exactly right the other thing is somebody had to build one because you know they didn't they didn't that hasn't survived from when they were building boats like that somebody built a tin roofed motorboat to carry them down the river maybe it's like a hipster kind of thing (sighs) you know (laughs) yeah like i think there's i could see the hipster movement getting huge by this time period. planet wide you're saying you're saying this is right. a planet of hipsters like you know how there's certain like cities that are hipsters like i don't know like austin texas mm. mostly hipsters maybe hyperion is just so many hipsters like that's where you go if you're a hipster it's like the brooklyn of the universe sure yeah yeah <laughs> okay i mean maybe but if that's true i don't know why anyone would ever go there that wasn't a hipster right right yeah yeah that's fair I, well i guess nobody does until they have their pilgrimage that they have to go on yeah ex- yeah exactly <laughs> all right fair enough <laughs> you know i thought this was going to be a bigger deal than it actually was so great job luke <laughs> yeah we yeah we did it so so you're so you think it went off the rails around then okay not really <laughs> i just needed to talk about that before we get into the crazy bit okay that's fair I want to talk about just kind of the cruciform or the the cross, whatever we're going to call it, cruciform cross. Oh, hold on. Before we talk about these people, there was one thing that actually was a problem for me when I was reading it about these people. And it's just the when Dan Simmons is describing how these people look, he says they look like they have Down syndrome. And that's pretty rude, Dan. <laughs> Because the the sense that I got was that was supposed to then explain why they weren't communicating with the priest at all and why they were acting kind of why they were acting dumb and not in like why they were just incompetent pretty much. And people with Down syndrome exist in the real world and maybe have read this book and <laughs> probably would feel pretty bad reading that. And, like, having that as the explanation for why these people are dumb. So, I just felt like that was a pretty asshole thing to do. He didn't need to say that they look like they had Down syndrome. He could have said... He could have just described how they looked. Right. But I felt like it was just kind of an asshole move to say that they look like they had Down syndrome. There's a couple things like that. This might be jumping forward a little bit too much. But we can talk about this more later. Once we move to the Colonel's chapter. Oh, I mean, we could talk um, about it now if it's related. Because we've already read. Okay. Do we feel like the Colonel's chapter is kind of racist against Muslims? <laughs> oh, I don't remember any. Oh, maybe. I don't know, though, because he is Muslim, right? Right. But it's just like the the stereotype of there being like crazy new prophets, like creating murderous jihad like pretty Shit. regularly yeah yeah comes up and i was like hmm i don't know <laughs> i don't know if that's a good move to do yeah actually i think you're right that's pretty shitty because it, it also makes the colonel seem like he's one of the good ones right because he is the one who is able to solve it because he's one of the good muslims and the other ones are all crazy terrorists essentially right yeah i yeah i <laughs> 
I mean, maybe it's because this this book is written is published in like 1989, I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> which there's been a huge wave of like social consciousness since then. Right. Sure. <laughs> but still, like, come on, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. It seems it seems a little aggressive and in your face, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think those those are kind of two things that are a little problematic about the book yeah. but uh let's let's move back a little bit okay so now that we've said that and because i think it, i do think it needs addressing before we get get some chuckles in about the book yeah go ahead and talk about what you were going to say about the cruciform okay yeah yeah let's get let's lose the seriousness <laughs> the the kind of so first of all the cruciforms i guess just like somehow get into your body and get connected to like every I don't know, nerve you have or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess when you move farther away, you they they send huge bolts of pain through you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess other times too, maybe. I, I don't quite remember. But the main thing is you can't move away from the cave or the basilica yeah. without huge pain. Yeah. And that's what traps the priest there. Mm-hmm. But then we learn later that... The, the younger priest that's actually telling the story mm-hmm. has two of them <laughs> and, like, has been going to different worlds, which is quite far away, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> and he's been dealing with this pain by just, like, painkillers. Uh-huh. Which the... so Okay, so I want to bring up... This is going to kind of be a new segment that we do i think mm-hmm. that we we kind of already do but i just want us to be more conscious about it where when there's certain things that seem like kind of unlikely <laughs> i think we just need to find ways to make them actually make sense in the story uh-huh but okay so i'll set up why this is unlikely first. Okay, okay yeah first of all the name of the drug do you remember the name of the drug ultra morphine ultra morphine <laughs> what is like okay so we have morphine mm-hmm. right oh like yeah a pretty strong uh i don't even know if i would call it a painkiller but like so ultra is ultra morphine just like more morphine <laughs> <laughs> because you can't just make a more powerful morphine you know what i mean yeah like it's either gotta be more morphine <laughs> or just a completely different drug right so the drug company was like what do we name this new painkiller this new opioid <laughs> that we just came up with there's already morphine. That's a great name. Great name, morphine. Great. Yeah. We want ours to seem like it's better than morphine. Let's call it ultra morphine. Like, because like maybe the, you know, the like kind of anti-scientific movement that's been going on for a while is just like, I'm not, t- <laughs> it's kind of targeted towards that where they're just like insane morphine and stuff like that to make people more likely to buy it. Um, because like really you can't just like you can't just make morphine ultra like super good it's already morphine like you have to find a new drug (laughs) um that's something that i just kind of wanted to rant about yeah i agree i think here's a possible explanation we've already seen that the culture is kind of old earth oriented that we're reading about they tend they talk about older things a lot and i think the console has a piano or a harpsichord or something on their ship right 
so there's like it's kind of like emperor's soul in that it seems like they are they kind of idolize the past they idolize what earth used to be and what humans used to be maybe to the point that orange juice what they're calling orange juice is not actually orange juice it is a drink that is colored orange but it's because they're so far removed that they don't even know what orange juice is it's like they read a hieroglyphic where somebody drank orange juice and they were like oh okay we should we we could also have orange juice let's we let's whip some up yeah Uh, and and maybe this morphine maybe it's not even the same family of drug that yeah morphine is they just read a book where somebody used morphine for on old earth and they saw what it did and they thought wow okay well i don't think this is that but this is probably way better than that <laughs> uh so we could what are we gonna call mega morphine no that's already taken uh super ultra morphine there we go yeah that's a good explanation i actually so that's a good explanation for what my actual issue or like thing that i thought was unlikely the thing that i actually think is super unlikely is let's just think about the implications of this dude constantly being on what is described as ultra morphine (laughs) like he is high out of his mind because when you think about how much pain this thing must be causing him he has to be taking something that basically doesn't make him feel anything so like he's he, he's got to be just he doesn't know where he is <laughs> he can't he, like he can't feel anything well and, so and no and it's never addressed like no one even notices that he's acting weirdly or anything they the console does identify that he acts like he's sick and dying all the time he that's true he yeah. looks really gross and yeah he looks like he's dying the other thing that i will say is he when he was in his pained fugue state and the console was interrogating him, he talked about how alcohol used to be able to numb the pain enough, which if alcohol could numb the pain enough, you would think the original priest who couldn't escape would be able to deal with that. Right. Um, and how the the priest who is telling the story, we should probably figure out his name, Dato? What was his name? Because otherwise we're going to be talking about two priests and it's going to be pretty hard to figure out which is which. Uh, Hoyt. 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 That's right. Father Hoyt. So Father Hoyt talked about how he has steadily graduated from painkiller to painkiller as he has developed a tolerance for it. So, and I don't know how tolerance to heroin essentially works, uh, but I imagine if you have a high tolerance you don't really have as much of the, like, you don't really have as much, I don't want to say, like, I don't know how to describe this. I feel like you're much more aware of your surroundings, and it becomes, rather than being high, when you have a really high tolerance, it becomes more about not being in constant pain all the time. And so maybe it's more of, like, maybe it's more of a metaphor for addiction than it is a... Uh, then it is him numbing the pain of this parasite that is feeding on well we don't really know what it's doing yeah we don't know yeah we don't really know any details about it but Um, but it doesn't it seems like it's much more if he doesn't do this then he will be writhing on the ground screaming and 
like this is counteracting the high he would this is bringing him this is taking him from like a 12 out of 10 to like a 6 out of 10 the the cross is uh so he's able to actually talk but he still looks like death (laughs) yeah i just i just imagined him being like have you ever uh i don't know if they really do morphine anymore unless for extreme cases but uh like after say like major surgery or something is what i'm imagining he's acting like (laughs) just on like insane painkillers to where the fact that you like can't even process what's happening well and you know what's funny is when i was reading this if i had to identify who had been on drugs the whole time the first person that i would have identified is the poet guy right yeah because he acts he acts like that the whole time he acts like freaking david after the dentist 90 percent of the time (laughs) so one of my so like one of my just like ludicrous explanations for this like we could come up with simple explanations like you like more likely things <laughs> sure. like you're saying sure. where it's just like you know he's gotten used to it so it's not that big of a deal or uh they've gotten super advanced with drugs to where you can kill pain but not affect you in in other ways yeah <laughs> one of my super stupid explanations <laughs> is that just in the future it's very acceptable to do drugs so just like everyone is super high to the point that it's not even talked about because it's just assumed <laughs> i don't that's probably not quite as likely so they've so they've figured out how to counteract all the problematic parts of or maybe not maybe everyone is just addicted to drugs in the future and it's cool <laughs> yeah and it's just like whatever hey do your own thing man it's like it's like how we talk about in other in other episodes we've talked about like you know they don't talk about toilets right because it's just assumed <laughs> maybe it's just in this universe it's just assumed that everyone is super high on drugs so it's not even discussed the libertarians finally won <laughs> finally i have one more pretty dumb explanation and that's just that who was the who was the priest that went there initially the one who the diary is about paul duray that was the one i was thinking of father duray okay so the other dumb explanation that i'm thinking of is that father dure is just a baby he (laughs) he can't handle any amount of pain whatsoever and so the instant he feels a little bit uncomfortable he's like oh no i can't i i love this explanation actually i can't manage any of this i need to go back and get my things and try and come up with a plan (laughs) And he, yeah, I love this explanation. I think this is the one we go with because he do, he also talks about uh, going, like having to hike down to the bottom of this cleft. <laughs> Maybe it's like four flights of stairs <laughs> and the, the like three score and 10 or whatever that's escorting him down there is like, good God, this guy is out of shape. And he's just complaining and whining the whole time down. <laughs> Are we there yet? I can't go any further. <laughs> he like he's starting to cramp up after like <laughs> twenty steps and is just dying. And when he describes coming back up, it's really like he gets up two steps and f- collapses back onto the people, collapses back onto the people behind him, and they have to carry him. And they're like, "Why did we let this guy into our club? What were we thinking?" I think this is the one. I think this is it. 
And then now when Hoyt actually gets them, it's just kind of a minor annoyance. Or not a minor annoyance, but it's pretty annoying. Yeah. And Okay. And maybe he's just... It's kind of a minor annoyance. Like, it's not that bad. That's why he can leave. Yeah. But he's just so grossed out by it that he has to do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm imagining the level of pain that this, this probably is actually is approaching those... Do you ever remember those trick pens or trick gum packs that people would have on the bus in elementary school where they would, they would g- shock you? Yeah, they would you would like pull out a piece of gum and it would shock you instead of being gum or you'd click the button on the pen and it would shock you. I'm imagining it was that where if you trained a little bit, you could just hold that down and dead eye the person who tried to get you with it, make them think you're a sociopath. But it doesn't actually hurt that bad. It's just really annoying a lot of the time. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. There, There is another thing about it while we're still on the priest story. When he... So Father Dure is somebody who's really disillusioned with the church, which incredible that the church has lasted this long when you think of how far removed everything is from old earth. That in itself, pretty big accomplishment. So right. I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss, dismiss the Catholic church. Um, but so he's somebody who's disillusioned with the church and is deciding he's just going to go live in the woods with these people that he doesn't really care if they're there or not. He just kind of wants to go be alone. And he go comes back to Jesus so freaking quick after seeing this basilica. And I, it's already the reason. So under normal circumstances, that's understandable. However... He has been talking about how he forged ancient Christian artifacts on other planets to try and do this exact same thing where he would show how the church is like everywhere. And now he sees one piece of evidence of a supposedly ancient cathedral on an alien planet. And his first explanation is that God must have done it. And Jesus must have been here. Not, oh, somebody else had the same idea I did and created a fake church on the side of this cliff. Right. Because honestly, it doesn't make... Because we don't... We haven't seen aliens. Nope. We've seen the... What are they called? Out Outriders or outsiders? Outlanders, I think. Out, right, but ousters. those are just... The ousters right, are people, but, but they're like kind of... They're kind of alien. Right. But so the 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 concept that makes this so crazy is that like it's he's dating it to before humans have left old earth. But there's no like I've seen no talk of aliens, right? Or evidence of aliens. Right. So it seems far more likely that someone just faked this. <laughs> because like what else what is it a natural occurrence <laughs> otherwise? right or and i think the explanation that he goes with is god did it that god created this church on the side of a cliff for with with the understanding that one day father dure would come and see it also his yeah also his evidence for it being super old (laughs) is that the walls are smooth (laughs) yeah it's the stairs the stairs have indents for when people have walked for a long period of time right that's it dude (laughs) and he bases his whole carbon dating not a thing anymore (laughs) right that definitely and he takes all these videos and stuff 
I imagine it akin to somebody who thinks that or who provides evidence about aliens existing and they have videos and talk about how the things that they've seen are like prove that aliens exist. Like they see a weird wobbling light in the sky and just because they don't have a better explanation right on the top of their head than aliens, it has to be aliens. That's that's this is he has no better explanation than when when he knows that there's a better explanation he just chooses not to believe it he wants to believe and so he's like yeah oh time to have a religious rebirth because i saw this <laughs> church and it doesn't go away either that's the the wildest thing to me is he goes down and sees the actual cruciform and to me the realization was oh the church wasn't to jesus the church was to these weird parasites and right and even after that, he still decides that it was Jesus and God. And I'm just thinking, Father Dure. Yeah, it's, I just like really quickly also want to just talk about how weird it is that we haven't seen evidence of aliens. Yeah. Right. Because we've seen like different worlds with like, I can't remember, did, were there different uh, plants and stuff? Yeah, definitely different trees. Mm hmm. So I just which hold on while we're talking about the trees calling it a fire forest seems like a misnomer what do you mean well it's I mean yes it's probably on fire a lot of the time but there's a different reason why like there's oh. a better name for the forest and that's the lightning forest right <laughs> right it didn't yeah like I mean I think there's partially because there uh, was there something describing like it being almost explosive, like having almost explosive elements to it? Yeah, also? yeah, definitely. But I got the sense that that was because the lightning was so high voltage, it was exploding the plants around it. Yeah. So, <laughs> and it's so like, I get that the fire might be the, well, I don't even know if the fire is the most dangerous thing because it, it makes it seem like the lightning is the most dangerous. Thing. Right. Because when they go into the fire forest, they bring these rods that conduct electricity so it doesn't hit them. And it's, you know what lightning is. Call it the <laughs> lightning forest. You know, this is actually a pretty good point. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I can't. I Yeah. Because cause presumably forests on fire is not that much more significant than right because that happens a lot yeah that's called california <laughs> yeah lightning forests on the other hand much more interesting uh yeah luke and the other thing about it are they not harnessing these trees for power production yet Ooh. because if we had a forest that was shooting off arcs of electricity every every year on like consistently are you we would have those trees hooked up to the grid so quick oh yeah we we wouldn't just we wouldn't just say oh don't go to the fire forest this time of year we would say we're sending out our utility workers to the to the lightning forest to collect we we would we would be planting lightning forests. yes yes that's exactly what we would be doing there wouldn't be like there wouldn't be solar panels everywhere there would be trees that shoot lightning to power the city yeah that's exactly what would happen that'd be pretty wild okay uh should we we've, we're pretty far into this recording should we move on to the second chapter yeah <laughs> we we definitely should move on to the second chapter
does the second chapter start right away with the colonel telling his story no it does not it jumps in and they do they actually come into hyperion um and then i think they see that the the basilica of the church of the shrike yeah is completely destroyed and then they get taken away by androids okay uh so before we talk about the colonel's story these people are the most touristy vacationers these are the most touristy pilgrims that i've ever heard they when they come onto the planet there's like a sonic there's a sonic boom that happens as they enter the atmosphere and you can imagine all the locals just thinking oh fuck this get out of here what are you doing i just want to live on this planet with a demon that kills people okay we don't need you coming to ogle at it and they go down the the river in this cruise ship essentially with a feast laid out for them all the time and it's super luxurious and i just got the sense that they're the uh it's like ecotourism but it's shrike tourism in a way they just seem like complete tourists and that was the yeah that was the tone that i was getting from it that's fair i mean the only thing is i think there is a lot of that kind of tourism before the shrike has now apparently gone crazy because right they also say when they see all those people there that they're all trying to get off the planet yeah can you imagine being one of those people and seeing like a solid gold spaceship come shooting out of the sky and people leave on it to go take a river cruise (laughs) yeah i I actually think that they've got to be like wow what idiots (laughs) you're gonna get murdered stupid rich people yeah i think that's definitely fair Mm. (laughs) but then so they yeah so they they go into that, I guess, tavern, essentially, mm-hmm. and get. They're very. Let's. They're very believing of this android, by the way, which I think is interesting, because um, they just follow him onto a boat, yeah, and go and go off. Which I mean, I guess, I don't know. The 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 Shrike Church is already destroyed, so their pilgrimage is kind of over. So I guess they don't have much else to do. Wait, I thought the pilgrimage was to the time tombs. Right, I think, but it's, it is, but it's organized by the Shrike Church. Mm-hmm. So I think they're supposed to get there, and then the church is supposed to tell them what to do. Yeah, but I thought, I think the leaders of the church are still alive. I think the building was destroyed, but the organization of the church is still directing them. They just right. couldn't start at this gigantic building in the middle of the biggest city on the planet that is dedicated to... The Lord of Pain, I think, is what it's described as. Yeah. Surprisingly popular religion for <laughs> uh, following the Lord of Pain. Well, I mean, given the evidence that people have of the Lord of Pain's existence, not completely unreasonable. That's fair. Yeah. But so so I guess they're just assuming that this android is sent by the like leaders of this church. Yes. Yeah, they are. Which I don't think is that unreasonable. Right. They're waiting for somebody to tell them what to do anyway. And they're they all know that they're probably gonna die anyway, so Yeah. Okay, so then so then they, they get on the ship and they're going and then they just decide since they don't have anything better to do to tell another story. Right. Which is so it's Colonel uh Kassad, I think is his name's story. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't start off that crazy again. Oh, the first 
Luke, the first sentence of that story I thought was insane. What was it? The first sentence was that he was at the Battle of Agincourt or Agincourt. And right, but it, it it turns out to be just a simulation. Right, but when but, when I first read it, I just went, okay, here we go again. Like this person <laughs> is thousands of years old for some reason. Great. <laughs> I actually, to be honest with you, I thought the same thing. And it's like, well, this is gonna be wild when Kassad is like, is in reality like Genghis Khan or something. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Um. But then, so he goes through his whole training things just constantly looking for this dream woman that he keeps seeing and i guess it's heavily implied that it's another person Mm -hmm. like going through these simulations and they she just always finds him on the battlefield right of of wherever he is right Um, it's interesting to me that none of the like superiors at this i guess academy are noticing this yeah Oh, for sure. Um, I get the sense that there's just too much happening and they don't realize that one of the cadets has literally left the battle and is doing some chick off on the side. On like the most gruesome parts of every battle. (laughs) Right. You would imagine those would be the parts they'd be watching the cadet and be like, oh, nice. You totally destroyed that night with your dope fighting skill. Whoa. Hold on. Who is? Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Kids look away. Kids. Yeah, because, like, I I guess there's just no, not really any supervision in these. Like, they're not really grading them. I guess they're just for experience. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise you would think they'd be counting, like, how many kills someone gets or, like, looking back at how they perform. Because also, he's in theory very, like, a top. Yeah. Like, student. Yeah. So you would think he'd be getting a lot of attention. <laughs> and <laughs> so you would think they would say maybe, say maybe, like, game progress or something. And it'd be like, oh, steady kills up until, okay, the battle's about to get intense. He should get a bunch more kills now. And then it just drops to zero. <laughs> it's like, because they would also maybe have his heart rate, you know? <laughs> so it's like, your heart rate skyrocketed during this part, but you weren't really doing anything. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about what was going through your brain? What, what were you thinking? Uh, well. Also, you don't have much distance covered during this time. Uh, it looks like you stayed in the same spot for about 30 minutes. <laughs> I, I mean, Luke, you're also, you're, <laughs> you're kind of envisioning an analog readout where they're getting a printer, like number, of, you know, they're getting a printout of statistics. This is, they're putting someone in an advanced simulation. I'm sure they can watch what's happening. Right. No, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm trying to give them leeway because if they can watch what's happening, they're definitely finding this out. I'm saying maybe... There's just too much of that, so they just have, like, quick glimpses. So, like, they don't have time to watch everybody's recording. But you'd think they'd watch the part that was, like, your your heart rate's skyrocketing, and yet you're not even on the battlefield. Where are you? <laughs> yeah. That, that's, why, that's why I'm thinking maybe there's just no, like, these are just for experience, and there's no... Supervision. Right. See, I was thinking that uh, everybody knows, and they just are, like, nice. <laughs> no one's curious about maybe this is a common thing yeah oh that could be it too <laughs> yeah although you would think that they would just like if this is possible you think that there would be other uh like technology that's set up for that specific purpose but maybe not 
you'd also think that the people monitoring this would not want them to spend their training time doing this because yeah because you would think that this you're like because i'm not hearing anything like i think they're at one point they explain like how uh how advanced this is and how expensive it is yeah so you would think they would want their to make sure that their students are taking advantage of it but maybe not i mean i guess it's worked out for him so maybe they were maybe they were trying a new training technique that they didn't tell him about but they just put him in the alpha version <laughs> they want people to be super uh motivated <laughs> during each battle <laughs> so this is like the yeah this is like the beta test <laughs> to see it and they realize later like maybe maybe we should have put the sex after they won the battle not before the battle start. Okay, for next time. Next, okay, guys. Next time we do this, put the sex. Next time it'll be like a reward kind of thing. <laughs> put the sex at the very end. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> but then later we find out that it was not organized by them at all. Which before we get there, when they're talking about the ousters, when they're when they finally describe what the ousters are like, and it's revealed that they're people that have grown into basically aliens um and the ouster culture it seems like in a lot of sci-fi there is that a lot of sci-fi that doesn't have aliens has this race of people that have gone and become grotesque after thousands of years living in very different circumstances and the one i immediately think of is in the tv show firefly have you ever seen firefly luke I I actually have not seen all of Firefly. Okay, have you I've seen, seen I've seen like the first episode. Okay, so. the first episode is where these people are introduced, the Reavers in Firefly right. are described yes. and I'm just like picturing a very similar culture with the ousters of these people on the edge of space that are like living in that are living in their spaceships and becoming these grotesque forms. Um And they they're like aren't they like cannibals and that kind of stuff? Yeah, exactly. They have just yeah. Yeah, they're seen like set like cannibals and so i feel like that's a pretty common trope but when colonel Kassad is describing their technology and their ferociousness it seems like they aren't giving the ousters nearly enough credit because he's talking about their spaceship and it sounds super advanced right, and yeah if they're unthinking grotesque alien beings like alien forms of humanity they like they seem pretty smart they seem pretty capable and not that different from colonel Kassad, because he's able to fly their ship pretty easily yeah well i i actually think there's i don't think there's been thousands of years okay well it describes their physiology as being very different though yeah it definitely does um but so I'm kind of picturing it as, like, obviously different culture and have advanced differently. Mm-hmm. But the main difference being they have advanced not on planets. But other than that, they seem like, so their physiology has reflected that. But other than that, so they seem relatively similar, I think. Yeah. In the way that they build ships. And, I mean, they still have, like, guns and everything. <laughs> Just, like, super advanced guns, you know? Right. So... I don't think they're quite that different. 
Well, right. Okay. So that brings me to the problem I have with it. And that's that the, the hegemony, I think is the name of the current leadership. The hegemony, it seems has never tried diplomacy with the ousters. And as soon as they hear the ousters are coming for Hyperion, they immediately resort to a military tactic and there's no discussion of we contacted their diplomats and we received no word back or we tried talking to the leader of their group and they didn't want anything to do with us and it's just like can you not just talk to them do they not they i'm sure they communicate they have some kind of language and and there's no there's no enunciation of what the goals of the ousters are because I don't, like it doesn't seem like they have any necessarily like I don't know why they would have interest in having a planet right. necessarily right so I don't know what they're tr- why they keep fighting <laughs> and maybe no one else does right it was because they've never tried to talk to them. right because it make it sets them up as unthinking animalistic creatures that somehow have spaceships and it leaves it there and it's just it's just like what wait they have spaceships you could probably talk to them and figure out what they want but they don't so that's why i I get the same sense of like of the the reavers in firefly because you never they never communicate with the reavers they're always just this big spooky this big dangerous force at the edge of the dark space right sure (laughs) one thing i also wanted to talk about this is this is completely separate there, so this book was written in, or at least published in 1989. Yeah. There's one part where he talks about, I guess, the new, the new code of war, basically. The new Bushido and code. I think. Yeah, I think it's that one. Yeah, he calls it the new Bushido. And he says the, or no, no, no. This is actually when he's talking about how civilians ended up hating the military for a little while. Right. Well, this and is he says, he's giving the explanation for why they came up with the new Bushido code. Yeah, and he says because entire civilian populations became basically legitimate targets mm-hmm. for, like, military leaders. And he says this happened in the late 20th and early 21st century, which is now <laughs> and before now. So the, the, he's he's saying that entire civilian populations were legitimate targets basically from, I don't know, 1975 to 2025 right right that's what that time period is that's dan simmons is what that is and and he wrote this in 1989 so and this is like i guess cold war is starting to end right then i'm just wondering what is he picturing is about to happen in our real world (laughs) um because he's not even like he's not even talking about the holocaust no well he i mean so world war ii did end with like atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which killed a bunch of civilians, like th- right. thousands but of that's, civilians. But that's the first half of the 20th century. That's very true. Uh, well, he could also be referring to the threat of nuclear war between Russia and the United States. Right, like, like the Cold War right and essentially i I mean you had those videos that kids watched in school about getting under their desks if an atomic or a nuclear missile was launched um which 
to me seems like the ultimate getting the civilian population ready for a war that will involve them so neither of us were alive when this book was written no um just kind of an interesting look into what the outlook was when this book was written yeah pretty rough very bad we just wanted to bring that up yeah i wanted to see your thoughts on it i think that's a uh that's a great astute observation luke i didn't pick that up when i was reading it i just assumed it was some other time i didn't really read that it was the 19th and the 20 or the 20th and the 21st century so right bummer dan (laughs) seriously dan chill out okay there's two things two more things i want to talk about one thing is that if the first story was told like a mystery novel this story was told like crank do you ever see that movie crank i I don't think i have so crank is this hardcore action movie that came out in like i think it was i want to say it was like the 2010s um starring who's british bruce willis you know the guy i'm talking about british bruce willis let me just google british bruce willis uh uh i think i know who you're talking about jason statham jason statham british bruce willis yes uh he stars in crank and it's basically just a guy jumping off skyscrapers and killing everybody he at one point is like standing on a motorcycle while it's going through the city shooting people and the end of colonel Kassad's chapter when he's fighting the ousters is basically that where he does these ridiculous action movie stunts and somehow doesn't die at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of, yeah, I was kind of thinking the same thing where this is like one of those, I mean, there's a lot of those action movies now too, like fast and furious seven or whatever is kind of like that too. Yeah. And this actually brings me to the, to another thing that I want to talk about. So we are reading these stories as if they actually happened that way. But in fact, the thing we're reading is somebody telling a story of what happened. So Colonel Kassad could be completely exaggerating what happened with the ousters to make himself sound super badass. Uh, And all of it, like it could be so made up. Like maybe he accidentally hit the eject button on his escape pod and landed on Hyperion instead of going through this intense combat sequence with all these ousters here's what it could be he hears the insanity of the story by uh father hoyt and just wants to match it (laughs) everybody's trying to one-up each other now he's been kind of because it's been like it's been like two days since the last story you know so he's been this whole time being like shit i'm next i gotta come up with something wild (laughs) (laughs) so that's the other thing we have to keep in mind is the one of the whole thing was set up that one of these people is a spy for the ousters which why who if especially given their description who if they have spies you should be able to talk to them right because somebody could talk to them but regardless somebody is probably making up their story to fit in to not come out as the spy for the ousters and so, so maybe maybe it's Colonel Kassad and his original story was super tame. He definitely met the Shrike or something like that, but it was in maybe like a super insignificant way. It was in it was in like a diner on Hyperion and they had a cup of coffee and just talked about life or whatever. 
but he realized he would stand out super bad he would be a super big standout if his story was super chill and everyone else's was crazy so he had to change his story to make it sound crazy like like the priest like father father hoyt and (laughs) the other so the other reason that it's important to remember that somebody is telling a story is the level of detail that we're given when colonel Cassad is talking about the sex he has with the maybe shrike creature and the amount of detail that he goes into is so uncomfortable. I imagine if you're sitting in that room with him and he talks about how the teeth vagina closed a millimeter away from his glands, you would just immediately, you'd try and pull out your phone because it was like, because it's like, there's no way I'm listening to this guy talk about his, his dingling almost being chomped off, being a millimeter away from being chomped off by a teeth vagina. Yeah, and there's there's other times where it's very explicit, <laughs> even even without the shrike. It's like, dude, I've got a baby here. Please stop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't think about that. The fact that he's telling these people this, because you could so easily be like, in in his other times when he's describing his uh his time with this woman, he could so easily just say like. Yeah, we had sex a lot, <laughs> and it was nice. But he goes into so much detail about it, and I can imagine just being—I can imagine being there and thinking, "Nice, we get it. You had sex. <laughs> Chill, dude. Yeah, okay. He's—he's for sure bragging because this whole story he's telling about this awesome sex that he had and how many <laughs> aliens he killed. Is he like a thirteen-year-old boy playing Call of Duty? <laughs> that's what i'm now realizing oh my god luke (laughs) he's gotta be he's gotta be yeah yeah for sure so it's for sure colonel kassad who's the traitor not very good (laughs) not very good colonel kassad not very good well he could also just be insecure about his story he doesn't have to be the traitor (laughs) you know that's true That's true. They're, like uh, they, they could have just picked these seven pilgrims because they're so far like one of se- like some of the few people that have met the shrike yeah. and survived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This they don't have to have met the shrike and survived in an insane story. He could just be a guy that's been <laughs> making this crazy stuff up, and he doesn't have to be the spy. Yeah, that's true. But okay, we've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> Oof, yeah, there is still plenty more to go. Did you have anything plenty else, more Luke? To go. Uh, I think I'm. I think that's that covers most of what I wanted to talk about. Okay, so yeah, we've still got plenty more to go. So uh, just just hang on with us. Hang on for this wild ride. We're gonna be throwing. We're gonna be throwing plenty of hot takes at you. Plenty. Oh, that was my key. That was my key to say. That's okay. And dumb. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's re- let's restart that. <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't get it. That's okay. That fits in well because you know. The people who are going to be throwing those hot takes, Luke, are some dumb nerds. There we go. We got it. <laughs> <laughs>